This podcast was recorded on January 25th of this year. Enjoy. As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the window. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. Today's episode is an interview with Coach Charlie Hall. Coach Hall is the head football coach of Southern Oregon University, and I'll go a bit through. He's got a very long, extensive bio here. He played football for Southern Oregon University before starting his coaching career. He's been the assistant coach at the University of Washington, the University of Idaho, and the University of New Mexico. He was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Northern Arizona University from 2001 to 2005. His 2003 team led the Big Sky Conference in total offense on its way to a conference title, and he was subsequently named the NCAA Division IAA Offensive Coordinator of the Year by American Football Monthly. He was then the head football coach of Ashland High School from 2005 to 2017. And in his time at Ashland, he went here, he helped the Grizzlies go 94 and 44. And the Grizzlies won four conference titles and appeared in the state quarterfinals six times, the state semifinals twice, and the state championship game once. And he was voted conference coach of the year four times. Then in 2017, he took over the Raiders, the SOU Raiders, and in his first season led them to a perfect 10-0 season through the Frontier Conference and a trip to the NAIA Championship Series semifinal round, a postseason number four ranking, and a 12-1 overall record. He was voted the Frontier and NAIA Region 5 Coach of the Year. Coach Hall had a really strong presence at Ashland High School. He was there through my time as an Ashland High School Grizzly And it was really an honor having him on the podcast and getting to talk to him about some topics that are of interest. And there's a bit of Ashland High School insider stuff here. So if you're not familiar with Ashland High School sports culture, you might consider going back and listening to the Max Gordon episode as kind of like a prerequisite to this one, because Max Gordon talks a lot about Coach Kitchell and the impact that he had on the school And that's been by far my most popular episode, so most people seem to like it. So if you want to go listen to the Max Gordon pod, you'll have more understanding on what we talk about in the beginning of the podcast about Ashland High School culture and what Coach Kitchell meant to Coach Hall. But um, even if you don't listen to that, even if you're not familiar with Ashland High School sports, I think the episode is really great and we get on to a number of topics. The, The podcast ended up being a lot about what Coach Hall described as the hidden curriculum of college sports. Coach Hall shares his ideas and opinions about how playing team sports can help players become good people in general and how that can help society at large. We speak about the power of playing sports with other players with vastly different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, and how when people from different backgrounds come together in a locker room, how powerful that can be. That was certainly my experience as a player as well. And he has some great thoughts about the importance of alignment as a way to channel the positive effects of diversity. We talk about Kaizen, the Zen philosophy of continuous improvement, and how he's integrating that into his program and relationship building and and the kind of speakers that he has come speak to his team who are not typical sports motivational speakers, which I thought was really interesting, and a bunch of other topics. So again, it was really a pleasure talking to Coach Hall on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Coach Hall, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Billy. It's good to reconnect with you. Yeah, definitely. So in the introduction, I'm going to have introduced your full bio, 
but I want to start by asking you a bit about your own playing career. And mm -hmm. so could you describe where you grew up and a bit about your youth sports experience? Well, I think we only have an hour, so I really can't go through my entire youth. We'd, we'd be here for a while. Um, but, you know, born, born in the East Coast. I was born in Philadelphia and was exposed to, to Philadelphia sports at a very early age. So, therefore, I became a Phillies fan, an Eagles fan, a Flyers fan, and a 76ers fan. And my first games, you know, professional football sports were in Philadelphia. Um, when I was, you know, in early elementary school, my parents moved to South America. And usually when you're in those early elementary years, you know, you're starting your kind of your sports foundation when you're starting to play with teams and socialize in elementary education. I was in South America and really I was exposed to soccer. And um, it was interesting, you know, something that was so unique and so new. Um, but, you know, I did it because kind of had to. Um, there wasn't a lot of Western types of sports. It wasn't, you know, something, some little league club on the side and whatnot. So, um, but I was able to get back to the States a few months of the year and live with my aunt. So I was able to play with more of the American kids and, and you know, grew up playing baseball. And as I got older, that was probably my favorite sport. Like I think most young kids are um, playing little league baseball, moved into football, you know, at uh, I think I was 11 years old at that time. So played three years of youth football uh, before I got to high school. Um, and so those were not, I was unlike you, I was not a, a big basketball player. And um, but just love those two sports, you know, primarily and then was able to play at the at the college level after high school. Nice. And where were you at in South America? I didn't know that. I lived in Quito, Ecuador, and okay. my dad was um, he was a contracted uh, employee through the NASA, you know, the government uh, space agency. And they were tracking satellites, you know, there at the equator. Uh, really close to what's called Mount Cotopaxi. It's uh, one of the tallest peaks in the Andes. And so that he would drive about an hour to work up to the a real high point, about 10,000 feet, and they would have this tracking station. So, um, so that it was, a, I mean, it was an amazing experience living in a, you know, foreign country, you know, a little bit of a third world country. So it really kind of gave me a, a real unique perspective about culture and, you know, already having that being half Japanese, you know, as I am. So um, just kind of mixing my mom's Japanese, you know, background with sort of a little bit of a South American culture. Then obviously the East coast culture has it of its own. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And so were you back in Philadelphia for high school? No, I wasn't. So, um, so when I was, I think, like I said, we moved all over the place for three years in South America, early elementary years, um, settled in the Los Angeles area, sort of fifth grade. And that's where I started playing more of the true little league and um, pop Warner football, things like that. When I was in, in fifth, sixth, you know, seventh grade. And then we moved to San Diego in my eighth grade year. And then, uh, and that's kind of where I went to high school there and Poway high school, which is a North County high school. It's, it's a really good, you know, athletic academic program right now. And then I went to Palomar junior college before I, came here to Southern Oregon University, which was then called Southern Oregon State College. Mm, okay. And what position did you play in baseball and football? In baseball, I guess if I had to say that I played a position more than any other, it was catcher. And mm. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, in, in baseball at the youth level, you you kind of play all positions, right? But but catcher was something that I was really fond of. And, uh, and then in football, more, you know, you know, I was more of a, a lineman type of guy, you know, started kind of in the offensive and defensive lines in early youth football, but eventually became a linebacker. And, and in my high school, we didn't play, you know, both ways. And so I stayed on the defensive side of the ball all through all through high school and mostly all through college. And it was ironic, my senior year in college, um, you know, I ended up playing a little bit of offense. I played some fullback and some situational things. Um you know, I had a, a pretty severe concussion my junior year, which probably should have ended my career, to be perfectly honest. But, hmm. you know, in those days, you know, you kind of eh, just could have shake it off a little bit. So I uh, got some got some tests and they said, eh, you know, you're, you're taking a risk, but, you know, you'll probably be OK. So I, I ended up playing my senior year and uh, I, I actually played offense, thought thinking that might be a way I can more protect my head. That that wasn't really smart. But um, the irony of the whole thing is that I ended up going back to defense by the end of the year because of injuries. And then uh, mm. I, got a, I got a small concussion in the second to the last game of the year. And the coaches said, eh, that's you're, you're done. So mm. uh, then pretty much started coaching after that. OK. And um, when did you know that you wanted to be a coach? Did you always know as a player? When did you make that decision? I don't think so. You know, I mean, I've always been sort of um, I've always felt like I had a leadership quality. 
um, that was that 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 I had that I was I was you know captain of my high school team. I really believed in you know at that time not really knowing what culture was, but you know really trying to get you know a, a certain attitude within the team and and feeling that I want to be a player that was driving that force. And and so that was important to me even at the high school level. Continue through my my college years. I really never thought about coaching. Now I take that back. When I was in high school, I was the the powder puff coach for the for the girls team. So that was my my first football coaching position. I think that I went to my forty year reunion a couple of years ago, and all the girls. That's how they 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 had they were not surprised that I had a lifetime of coaching because they just knew me as you know the guy who coached them in powder puff football. Um, but, but yeah, I, I really wasn't thinking of it as a career wise. In fact, my career was more interested in journalism and, um, kind of got the, the interest of writing sports stories, of course, uh, sports photography, worked for some, some weekly and some daily papers and did some work, you know, all through my undergrad time in journalism. In fact, I have a minor here at Southern Oregon in in journalism, worked for the daily tidings, you know, when they still had that paper here and covered sports, you know, for the high school when I was, when I was an undergrad, but you know, it probably wasn't probably to my senior year, you know, as I was going, you know, into my senior year, there was, you know, four years of, of college. I was going to get a degree in, uh, in psychology with a, with a minor in journalism because they didn't have a major in journalism and I wasn't sure what to do. And, um, talked to the coaching staff and they said, well, you know, you can stick around and, you know, you could help us coach if you want to go another and get another degree or do something else. So I stayed around my fifth year and I got my degree in secondary education because I was able mm. to use my, my, my my psychology degree to get us um, a social studies endorsement in secondary ed. So then once I graduated, I could go and apply for jobs as a, as a social studies teacher and use my journalism minor to, to get, you know, something to do in, in communications. Okay. And then, so you, when you were doing, you first got your introduction to coaching that way, mm-hmm. then did you kind of fall in love with it? Were you still like, like, when did you know that it was going to be your ultimate path? I think it was that first year, you know, it was just kind of um, still being connected with the team. And it's always odd. And, and you probably know this, you know, if you once you graduate and you're still around the program, but you're in a different capacity. I was very fortunate having played defense all my all my years, you know, as a player, except for a little bit my senior year. They put me on the offensive side of the ball and I was able to help on the offense and, and help the running backs, you know, that year as a, as a student assistant. So um just love that. We, we had a great season. We were very successful. Um, I just had a good camaraderie with, um, you know, the players who were a little bit my age. Right. Um, but it was respectful. And really the thing that I felt that that kind of hooked me, especially from the college level, was Coach Mills. Chuck Mills was the head coach at the time when I was going home for, for Christmas break. He said, hey, in his in his you know Chicago raspy voice, you know, because he smoked about you know fifty years of cigars. <laughs> um, he said, "You would you, would you go down to to, to the you know, home and stop at these junior colleges and go go introduce yourself and see if you can find some JC kids, you know, to come up here." So mm. I did that. You know, I stopped at about four or five junior colleges as I got you know closer towards Los Angeles and just made connections and just enjoyed that relationship of building with a, a young man. And here it was very close to my age. And um, a, a result of that, my initial recruiting trip, you know, two players decided to come to Southern Oregon, you know, because mm-hmm. I was there and I introduced them to the school and, and this was a, a viable option for them to leave Southern California, much like I did and come to Southern Oregon and, and have a football career. And as I see those guys in Facebook and, you know, they happen to be African-American and just, you know, know that they have these amazing relationships with guys from the Northwest who are predominantly mm-hmm. white, um, but they've had this, this lifelong connection, you know, and, and we were very, uh, you know, there wasn't a very, a very many, you know, men of color playing, you know, when I was here at that time. So, you know, mm-hmm. so we kind of broke through some boundaries, if you will, you know, and try to help, you know, facilitate some of those, those connections, you know, in recruiting. Nice. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, you know, we could go through, you have such a, long history through coaching and so many experiences, but because we only have an hour, I want to pivot to some more of the kind of your coaching philosophies. And so you mentioned culture and how you were interested as a player, even though you may not have called it culture then about, you know, how important that is in sports and building that. And so I want to start with, so let's say when you've taken over new roles, specifically as a head coach. So when you took over Ashton high, when you took over SOU, What's the first thing that comes to mind in terms of a quality of the culture that you wanted to emphasize, something that's non-negotiable within your programs? Right. You know, when you look at both those programs and, and my journey, you know, coming into those programs the way I did, 
um, they're both um, very similar and very unique. Um, yes, when I took the, the program over at Ashen High School, they had already been through what we call the glory years at Ashen High with Coach Nagel and three state championships. And certainly, you know, all about that. And, and the community was, you know, really supportive of Ashen High School at the time. And then, you know, as Coach Nagel kind of finished up his career and then they had a sort of a two year gap where there was somebody that was really outside of the program that, that you know, ran the program not well. Um, and when, when he left and they made the transition and they hired me, um, I was so fortunate to have men on the staff that had been with Coach Nagel that understood what, you know, the Nagel tradition was like. And, and so using them to sort of reignite what Coach Nagel brought to, um, to the program was, was highly important. I think, you know, those are just just really having this, this pride in the program. There was a great work ethic. Um, there was a respect for the traditions that, that had been created by Coach Kitchell, who, you know, Dave Kitchell is probably one of the most, you know, influential figures in my life as a coach. And I've coached many years and in, in, in several, you know, Division One programs and been around great coaches who have had great college careers. But at the high school level, and I think in life, I think Dave's been one of my biggest influences. And just, you know, watching him, you know, it wasn't like I need to come in there and do a lot of things, you know, just watching Dave really be the, you know, he was the, the, the spotlight of culture at Ashton high school and always had been even, and I think even coach Nega would, would, would really admit to that, you know, because, you know, as you know, his, his uh, you know, his saying is we love and care for each other, you know, and, and Dave's somebody that, you know, love is important, but it's tough love. And I think, you know, there was this uh, trying to push you to be the best version of yourself, but at the end of the day, you know, he'd give you a hug and he'd give you the, the feedback to, to make you feel like you made you, you accomplished something. So, um, so, so, so that person and having him with me in just those three short years was so pivotal in my sort of philosophy of, of why I coach. And, mm -hmm. and so I know you want to talk about, you know, how I, you know, go about and, and transform a program, but, you know, I'm sharing with you how a person transformed me. And, and, and looking at a way where, you know, all my life and you said yourself, you know, we could talk all day about all the different stops that I made as a, as a young coach going through, you know, the Western United States at all these college programs, you know, but to me, that's a, that's the life of a transactional coach. That's a life of a coach that's trying to climb a ladder. That's a coach that's chasing, you know, maybe the money or the, or the ego, or the fame and the things that go with that, you know, and then when I met Dave, you know, I mean, he really sold me on becoming more of a transformational coach. How can I have a, a, a better influence on, on you or other players that I coached, you know? And so, so that is something that just changed my outlook on, you know, on, on, on how to coach and, and why I coach. And, you know, now I know I stayed at Ashen for a few years um, when I first met Dave and I did take a job, you know, so I met Dave as an assistant, right? And then I, I took the job down at, at Northern Arizona to be an offense coordinator at the division one level, which was a great experience for me, but I came back and that's when I took the head job, you know, because Dave had cancer and, you know, there were other family reasons and whatnot that, that were because of that, but really Dave made a, made a great impact on, on my decision to be able to, to navigate, you know, beyond, um, you know, those years coming back to, to Ashland and then transitioning into Southern Oregon. So, so again, the, the core values at Ashland were already in place. You know what I'm saying? And, and when Dave died of cancer back in 2007, you know, we we put those on the back of the stadium, you know, just so that we all understood that this is what we represent, you know, that there was, you know, family and tradition and effort in class. And those were all the values I believe Dave stood for. Those are the values that Coach Nagel stood for. You know, we just never really publicized that. But having that on the back of your stadium holds your players accountable and that every day we're out there working, every day that we, we, we train, every day you drive by Moore Street, you know, you see that and that you're part of something greater than yourself. And I think when you get people to buy into that culture, I think it, uh, it makes it a lot easier to kind of hold everybody accountable. Um, huh. You want to transition to, to SOU a little bit? Yeah, but right before we do that. So one of the recent podcasts that came out, I'm not sure when this one will come out in relationship to that one, but I had Max Gordon on and he told the, his version of the Coach Kitchell story, which was amazing. And that definitely resonated with a lot of Ashland listeners and people in general, even people who are in kind of my Regis network or I've met through the, the ranks. It was an amazing story. You know, right. not only, you know, he has a, a bunch of amazing stories with his, yeah. you know, you know, he's got 10 of them, but coach Kitchell one. And like, you know, my mom talked about how hearing 
about coach Kitchell from max, you know, brought her back and had her, you know, reflecting more deeply on her relationship with coach Kitchell than she had in a long time. And so maybe we can linger there for a second. So I'm, I'm curious actually, cause I knew I was pretty young, but I knew coach Kitchell growing up. Was he ever interested in becoming um, like a head coach or moving out? Like he, so he was an elementary school teacher and he was the assistant for coach Nagel and for you, right? What was his progression like and how was he positioned within the program? You know, um, you know, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, you know, somebody who was very capable of being a head coach, you know, in my mm. opinion, um, but I think he's so unselfish that, you know, and especially in his latter years when there was transition from Nagel to the next head coach and things like that, I really can't answer you why, you know, he wasn't the next coach after Jim Nagel. You know what I'm saying? Mm. When you see, especially at the collegiate level, you know, you have a, a, a program that's done so well, you know, it just sort of the baton gets passed to another assistant so they can keep the tradition. There's a lot of things that I think continuity is very important in coaching. So um, I think Dave, at some point in that time, though, whether he knew he was sick or whether, you know, he had been diagnosed with his mm. situation, you know, at that time, you know, he may not have felt like he was the right guy because he was going to be gone a lot. He was going to need to mm. get you know, chemo and things like that. So um, because it was shortly after, I left Ashton High School the first time because I coached at Ashton High School from 98, 99, and 2000. And I was, at, I was at Northern Arizona University in 2001 when I heard the news of Dave getting cancer. And then, um, and so I remember sending Dave, you know, different things from people that I knew. In fact, I know Dave was a big Chicago Bears fan. And so one of, one of my, you know, one of the people that I recruited way back in the day was Brian Erlacher. And um, I always, I stayed in touch, not as much with Brian, you know, Brian trying to, you know, be the all pro NFL linebacker that he was, but um, I, I knew his mom and, and, and just, so I, I emailed his mom and she just, you know, she said, Hey, I'm going to get you a ball. I'm going to get you a shirt, you know, and a picture. And so she sent me stuff to give to coach Kitch. And so that, that was cool to have that sort of connection, you know um, but, you know, so, so Dave may not have, uh, felt like, you know, he was the right guy when there was potential changes at Ashland High School. And so the, the school did hire somebody outside the program. They thought it was a good fit and it wasn't. And so mm -hmm. he, that lasted two years. And then so the after the 2004 season, you know, they let that guy go. And I get a phone call from Dave Kitchell <laughs> and says, hey, man, you need to come home. So, um, and, and, you know, yeah. and it was, the time was right. And so, and so that's, that's how I got back and wel welcomed him, you know, I mean, he welcomed me literally with open arms and was going to continue to be, you know, the defensive coordinator, like he was serving in that role um, with coach oh. Nagel. And so that's just, um, that's just who he is, man. Yeah, definitely. And I just said this to Max too, but, you know, I, I never played for him directly, but he had such an impact just around the culture and around, and I remember being a ball boy for both football and basketball and getting his spirit, you know, radiating through the program and to me, and I could tell the kind of presence that he had. So. No, he's, he's taught, he's taught a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of things about life and, you know, how to be a, you know, just a, just a servant leader. And, and just, there's, there's the list goes on and on. And I think Max is an awesome disciple of, you know, of Dave's teachings. And, um, you know, in fact, I talked about the sign that's behind the, the, the stadium there at Ashland High School. Well, guess who made that sign? That was, that was Max's senior project. Taking a quick break from the episode to thank you for listening to the podcast. You can reach out to me to say hi or give feedback or make a suggestion at contact at billyhanson.net. And the best way to stay in contact with my work is to subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. And my new book has been out for a while now. The book is about my own experience from youth sports through college athletics and specifically the mental difficulties that I faced as a college athlete and how the practice of mindfulness meditation and integrating mindfulness into my game helped me recover and enjoy a great senior season where I played my best basketball, but also fell in love with my sport, re-fell in love with the sport and enjoyed the game more than I ever had before. So if you're an athlete or a parent or a coach, or if you know someone who you think might be interested, you should head to billyhanson.net forward slash book to pick up a copy. 
You can get it in print or ebook or audiobook format, and I read the audiobook myself. So I think the book is an especially good resource for an athlete who's going through a difficult time. So if you know, happen to know an athlete who's struggling, you should direct them towards the book because I think it could help them out. Thank you again for listening. And now back to my conversation with Coach Charlie Hall. So let's move to um, SOU. So you had been the very successful Ashland High coach for quite a while and then got the SOU job. What was your attitude like taking that job? And Maybe we can go back to culture. So what kind of things were you trying to implement when you first took over the job or, you know, keep going? Cause I know they were having success before you got they, there. Right? They, they were having success. And so here again is a, a very unique situation from that standpoint. Like I just spoke about, you know, usually when there's transition from the top and, and if your listeners don't know that the, the transition at SOU was as a result of Craig Howard, the head coach passed away in January of 2017 and Craig was in his mid sixties and a very successful coach here at Southern Oregon university uh, won a national championship in, in 2014 and took the team back to the national championship in 2015. And he only did this in a matter of gosh, I want to say four years, you know, when he came on board around 2011. So um, a lot of good things, you know, right place at the right time. But again, to me, you know, if you could, if you could channel Craig Howard, you know, he would be an awesome person to talk to about culture. And I think really that is the one thing that uh, I guess he would pride himself more about anything, you know, is how to build that, that, that culture and give kids the confidence to play and to be a championship players. And uh, he really had a gift, I, I believe, you know, and so I, I feel like I came into this program, you know, it was, it was, it was really bizarre because there was other good coaches here. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, some applied for the job and, and, and I was very blessed to be able to get the job. So that's a tough situation to come into when you're trying to, you inherit a staff, some wanted to, t- to take your position, right? Um, yeah. Others are not sure, you know, because there's such an incredibly high standard uh, of what that person did, you know, for the program. The players, you know, they had their hearts ripped out. Their, their coach, their leader had just died, you know, unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And um, trying to take over a program, you know, you can see has its challenges. And, and I thought the best approach towards this was let's not just forget about Coach Howard. Let's, I, I, I just took things very careful, very slow, kept as many routines as I felt that were, um, you know, necessary, you know, to kind of maintain some semblance of continuity, mostly for the players. I wanted them to maintain their position coach relationships. I wanted them to maintain some of the routines that they had, you know, with coach Howard. Um, so, and I think that was received very well and, and players felt very comfortable with that. And then as I earned their trust, you know, then, then we developed this, this, you know, really good relationship. And so I, I don't know, you know, that year went amazingly well. I think as a result of that strategy, there was good players in place and there was a, there was a culture. They had a losing season the previous year, but, you know, there was this, you know, Hey, we're going to do this because, you know, of coach Howard kind of a, of a mindset. So, um, so we went 12 and one and we lost a double overtime game down in Atlanta or in Georgia, you know, with a chance to go to a, a third national championship game in the last four years, you know? So, um, yeah. so it was, a, it was an amazing ride and, and, you know, was, I don't feel like I came in and, you know, said, Hey, this culture is going to change and we're going to get rid of, you know, Craig's battle cry was character, strength, and honor. And that's something that he really embedded into the program, into the community. And this was going to be his calling card. And he wanted to make sure that we recruited men of character, strength, and honor. We were going to develop men of character, strength, and honor. And then when they left the program, there were going to be men of strength, character, strength, and honor in the community. And I think that was such a great, um, just a just a vision of how to develop young men that he had amazing buy-in. And I thought that was important. So, um, but, you know, going forward, you know, as these top players, you know, graduated, um, new players, new leadership comes in, people start forgetting really who Coach Howard was because there was no connection there. You know, we really and I needed to rebrand what it is to be, you know, a Southern Oregon Raider. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I think that was um, that's still an ongoing challenge for me, because as we sort of lost, you know, some players and some coaches of that first year, COVID hit us. And that's been extremely challenging trying to, you know, recover and try to reset some things um, going forward. But but I'm excited about, you know, this this continuing building of, of a program and trying to to find, you know, really 
who we are and how we find ourselves that way. So that that's kind of where we're at now. So yes, there are things that I feel like I'm putting in place that are my own thoughts about um, who we want to be and how do we identify and, and what those core values are. Cool. Yeah. So something that I suspect came from you and that I've been seeing on, on Twitter mm-hmm. is, and I might mispronounce it so you can correct me, but is it pronounced Kaizen? Kaizen? Kaizen. Kaizen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what is that? And how was that? How do you think about it in relationship to your team? Sure. So, so, you know, obviously with my, you know, I'm half Japanese and, and I always like to share, you know, culture with people. I think that's something that is, is, is cool and, and unique and, and trying to share some of my Japanese background with my, you know, my team, I think is very important to me and, and help them learn about other cultures. Cause as much as we are different, we are very similar in so many ways, as you know, um, you're going to get a kick out of this. So, so the first time that I, I used, and I didn't, I was the first to use Kaizen in a sports setting and mm. that was Mike Rogan. So, mm. so how, okay. how, how far apart are you from Bryce Rogan? He was a sophomore when I was a senior in baseball and okay. he, he was great. He really, you know, he was immediate impact player as a sophomore oh. and yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So then Mike, so I don't know, you know, you, so Mike came up with it with a Kaizen patch for baseball. Mm. It might have been after it might have been Bryce's junior or senior year because I bet it, it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember this right now. So, yeah, you right. remember. so it was this he had sort of a, the Japanese kanji letters and the word Kaizen written across it. And that mm. that was sewn onto the baseball jerseys. And mm. Mike, you know, Mike's a very, you know, really interesting guy for sure. And so he just wanted that to be he wanted to piggyback some of the, the things that we had in football that had some Japanese ties, you know, and he was mm. looking for its own his own organic Ashland baseball concept that, you know, cause Mike wanted to take a, a, a baseball team from Ashland to Japan. <laughs> I mean, that would have been his goal. Arizona wasn't far enough, Billy. He, he wanted to go to Japan. <laughs> so, so the, the Kaizen sticker really came out of the, you know, sort of the Mike Rogan, Bryce Yogan, Rogan years, you know, and then it kind of just sort of faded away. You know, it just wasn't something that, it was, uh, I don't think, you know, Wallace didn't really continue it, you know, and then I think as Nick came on, I think it just sort of just, it just wasn't there as much. So, and then as I came here to Southern Oregon, I was just looking for something that would be uniquely mine because coach Howard had all these little cool sayings and mottos and things that were all over the locker room. In fact, we have a whole wall in our locker room that says Howardisms and all these little one-liners that he used that, you know, they're, most were not his, but he certainly, you know, used them enough to, to make them sound like they're his. So, so I just came up with the whole idea of Kaizen because I, I really believe in continuous improvement is the, is the key to success, you know, in sports and in life. And so having the mindset that you're always going to get better, there's always an opportunity to do, do something better um, as an athlete, as a student, as a person, you know, as somebody in the, in the, in the, in the community. So we always try to measure ourselves against, you know, the previous things that we've done. Um, going back to something Craig would use, you know, it's like leave it better than you found it, you know. And so these are all cool things that I think are part of developing a culture. So Kaizen seems to have grabbed some some legs and we're using it, you know, certainly in, in social media branding and whatnot, because it's unique and it identifies Southern Oregon, certainly with me and just sort of this the kind of new approach that we have. Cool. And so it's continuous improvement. Is there an emphasis on like doing things right the first time? Is that also part of Kaizen or is that something else? So, so if I can, you know, give you kind of a, the, the Japanese, you know, background with, with Kaizen. So mm-hmm. Kaizen is born out of the Japanese motor industry and probably Toyota would mm-hmm. be the one I think that maybe had used that concept because as you know, the Japanese, you know, cars have been, have developed incredibly over years, you know, I mean, for a country mm-hmm. that, you know, was, <laughs> 70 years ago, you know, was really down to rubble, you know, they've, they've, they've bounced back pretty good with our help. And so as we have incorporated some of our technology into the, the rise of post-World War II Japan, the Kaizen concept is a, concept is a concept of quality control. And so as something is built, you test it, you kind of evaluate it, and then you try to make it better. And there's this mm. constant evolution in the auto industry that is, you know, how the Japanese auto companies have become some of the best in the world. And they attribute that to the concept of Kaizen, which is, um, I think Kaizen, the words are kind of like good change, you know, change for Mm. the good. And so I think it's more interpreted, you know, as an American phrase as continuous improvement. So that's Mm. some, some of the Japanese, you know, that's great. Yeah. I could, I could see how that could apply to sports, not only with 
individual player improvement, but also within a team, you yes. know, building new skills and new strategies. And um, yeah, that's really cool. So, so improvement has always been a, a value in sports, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. improve your batting average and, you know, improve your field goal percentage, you know I mean? So, and so, you know, as a sports community, we're a very statistically driven, you know, whether it's in the weight room, we want to get stronger, you know, we want to get faster. We want our, we want our times to go down. We want our lifts to get, get higher, you know? So we yeah. use some of those and I want, I want your GPA to get higher, you know? So we're going to, I'm always, I like posting that kind of data to really reward the players who have achieved things. And I want players to be motivated to, to get on the board and to get, you know, to get in that cut, you know, and then there's a category for most improved, you know, you, maybe you don't have the best um, strength or whatever, but you know, from last test to this test, you're the guy that had the most improvement. That guy deserves to get recognized, you know, for, for making that effort, you know? So I think there's always ways to recognize people for, for accomplishments. And I think improvement is an accomplishment in itself you know, in my own opinion. So is that linked to the Kaizen philosophy? I remember in high school doing, um, I forgot what it was, you know, one of the advanced conditioning PE class with you. Mm-hmm. And then you had football players, you know, metrics posted on the, the board, whether it was a 40 yard dash or a bench right. press or, you know, different kind of um, metrics mm-hmm. to evaluate performance. Right. And so was that something that you've also implemented at SOU is that what you were just mentioning something on yeah. the wall where people can try to improve and get on the board and compete in a healthy way? Yep. Not, not as cool as the board, the board in Ashland high school, but you know, we, mm. you know, just between PowerPoint and 11 by 17 sheets of paper, you know, we, we can <laughs> fill up some space and, and put some things up there, but you know, I, I mean, it, I think in college it's, it's a little bit different than high school. I think kids are more hungry for that kind of attention, you know, just being as young mm. as they are, they want to get validated, you know, um, because, you know, in high school, there's a lot more insecurity than there is possibly in, in college. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I think it's important to recognize them. That's why we always gave T-shirts for if you accomplish this, right, you got mm. a T-shirt. So that that's a motivational tool for the high school player. In college, it's a, it's a little bit different. You know, I just use the data as something to measure. But I know that if, if I miss somebody's on the, Hey coach, I, I know I'm here. You know what I'm saying? They, they're <laughs> looking at that. They, they call me out that hey, I should be above this guy right here, you know? So, mm. um, so at least they're looking at that and it's a motivational tool and it, you know, just something I think that we use. And, and I like to use it because when we test in January, then we'll test again in March. Okay. Well, let's, let's see as a team, did we improve? You know, I said, Hey, first meeting, let's, let's improve 4,000 pounds as a team. Okay. That mm. means every man here has got to improve 40 pounds and all the lifts. Okay. Let, that's going to be our team goal. So, you know, let's, let's put the numbers together and then see if we can really improve, you know, as a full team. So there's individual improvement. I think you can also measure individual or team improvement, you know, through that process. Mm. You mentioned something in passing that's interesting. You said that college players are a bit more mature, a bit less insecure and a bit less, you know, desperate for validation. Um, so that's an interesting observation. And I, I'm, you know, it's true given my own reflection on myself and my teammates and stuff. So how do you use that information to deal with your players differently? So when you move from AHS to SOU, Mm -hmm. is there, is that the only, is that the main difference? Are there other differences? I'm curious how you shifted your philosophy on how to deal with your players when moving from 15, 16, 17 to 19, 20, 21. That's a great question. You know, and I think it's, um, it's to me that that in itself is a, is a Kaizen equation because <laughs> I think it is still a work in progress because having, you know, been at the division one level, let's say, you know, for so much of my early coaching years um, and then coming back to high school, that, that in itself was a big shift. And so, um, you know, so my intensity had to adjust to some of the things there. Um, and then coming back to college, you know, I had to make another adjustment. So um, I, I think it's, 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 it is, it is very interesting, you know, and then, and then even at Southern Oregon, it's a different type of athlete, you know, where the, the, one of the things that when you're recruiting for a division one school, especially in this day and age, okay, everybody who's probably getting a division one scholarship thinks they got a shot to play at the next level, you know, mm-hmm. because that's pretty much that that's one of their, they're driving their, their motivational, you know, things that they're doing. So at the small college level, I'm not going to say I don't have players who think or want or hope to go to the next level, but I think these, these players have a realistic um, idea about 
the college experience. They, you know, they want to come to a college. They, yes, they want to certainly get their degree. Um, I think college football is something that they love and they better love it because if you don't love college football or college basketball, all the sacrifice that you do, all the things you give up to play the sport for, you know, there's some financial gain, but not everybody gets a scholarship and those scholarships aren't, aren't really big on our, at our level for sure. I mean, you better love all that sacrifice. So, so therefore, when I think of the player, you know, these guys are making a lot of sacrifices. They're doing something that they love. And so I'm, I'm, I'm patient with them. I, I still want to, I want to press them. I want them to try to help them find the best version of themselves in all types of ways. So I utilize football, as more than just a game, you know, I, I look at it as a classroom. I try to bring in things that are not football related to talk about things and bring it back to football. You know, mm-hmm. I brought in a, a, a woman from, from Jacksonville here in our, in our, in our region. And she was, a she's 87 years old and she was a Hiroshima bomb survivor. And I brought mm-hmm. her into fall camp and talked about, you know, here's a woman and she's four foot 10 and she's 87 years old. And she's got amazing energy. Um, but talked about, you know, being a survivor of one of two atomic bombs that have ever been dropped on the earth and, mm-hmm. and how she basically dealt with the immediate survival of, of a very chaotic time, uh, how she basically forgave, you know, the country now that she's lived in for the last 50 years, you know, and mm-hmm. how she's been this advocate for peace and, and change in the world and, and just and how kind of an influence she's had on other people. So. Um, and it was, it was very powerful, you know, to just have mm-hmm. a very unique perspective of life through the eyes of an older woman to a bunch of, to 115 and, and football players, you know, mm-hmm. and to me, I mean, yes, there's a Japanese thing there that I think is important that I wanted to give them that perspective, but I still think it's another, it's another life lesson, you know, that I feel yeah. like I can, I can still be a teacher, even though I'm not teaching a class. Um, yeah. And I think, I think all these things have relevancy to you know to being a the best person you can i think being a good person will lead to the other things of being a dedicated committed a disciplined athlete in in my opinion Mm. that's great yeah that's really cool um question for you about mental preparation so is there anything you do with your team and that could either be collectively together strategies that you do with the team all at once together or instructions that you give to the players to do on their own, anything in the realm of mental preparation for competition. And that could be for performance or for consistency or wherever you want to take it. You know, football is so unique. Um, You know, just imagine, I mean, really one position group is like a basketball team, you know? Mm. I mean, so you have one or two coaches that handle your basketball team. So that head coach is pretty important to the whole team and, and his words and his vision and his leadership is, is being felt by everybody, you know, at all times, it seems like, you know, I mean, I, I think that's kind of how it is, but yeah. in, coach, in football where you have, you know, I mean, you're going to dress down 60 to 70 players, 70 players a game at the college level. Um, your position coach has a huge responsibility for your mental preparation. Mm. You know, your position coach has to has to really get you physically, mentally ready to play the game to, to so you can play your position at its best. Okay. Mm. The coordinator of the offense or the defense has to basically take all those pieces, much like a conductor in a band, and make sure that there is, you know, there's good synthesis and that, you know, everybody is on the same page, you know, whatever, you know, audibles and things like that are happening. So that has to, has to happen at the at the at the coordinator level. And then my responsibility is just to, to make sure that I, I kind of tie it all together, you know, look for themes, look for things that, you know, what, what can we do to really find the inspiration, I guess, to play, you know, I think, but above all, I, I think the most important thing at my, at my, pers- my position is just the consistency and having routine. I think players don't want to be kind of doing some things that are so different from week to week. I think having routine is so important in, in where you eat, how you eat, when you eat, you know, all the things that the meetings that you have, you know, some of the rituals that you do before games, you know, if you create a, a, a strong environment of rituals, then the players can anticipate that. And there's this, there's going to be a confidence in what they're doing. So, um, so it doesn't give you a lot of details, but I think just an overall big picture wise, I think that's kind of how it's done at this level at, at all levels, or at least at the best levels. Okay. 
Great, great. I have a question bouncing around a little bit now. Is some, there's some aspect of coaching that if you think back, you know, X number of years, whether it's five or 10 or however long, some strong opinion that you held that you've either completely changed your mind on or you've shifted your perspective. Is there anything that you can think about in your progression as a coach where you would have said, this is the way we do things. And then now it's something quite different. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, sure. There's lots of things. I think I, I'm, I'm always looking to evolve and I think that's how you stay in this business. And I think that's how you stay fresh in this business, you know, and mm. you can't be the same guy that you were before. And so um, it's not like teaching too, you know, I think imagine, and, and, you know, God bless your mom. I know she's taught, you know, it's kind of the same class, you know, kind of the same time, but she's had to have changed her curriculum over the years, you know, cause you get, mm. you get, you get, you get bored and you get flat, you know? So um, but in coaching, I would say, you know, for me, it's funny, you know, I was a much more, and everybody kind of makes fun of me a little bit now that, you know, when I was at Ashland High School, now remember, I'm coming off of most of my career as at a, at a higher college level, and I'm going to coach high school, right? So my intensity and my tenacity was probably much more at that level than it is now. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> And I don't know, I, I may need to get that back, Billy. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> but I was a pretty, I was a pretty fired up dude. You need to have me and Skarm go like stand in the outfield and not shag balls hard enough yeah, to, to reignite or, it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or take like, you know, 30 minutes to go to the bathroom for my advanced conditioning class, you know, and then I'm looking for where you're at and you're hiding up in the bleachers yeah. up there. Get, get Brent on your field. He'll, uh, he'll do it for <laughs> yeah, you. Right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, there, there's... And I probably maybe assume too much about the maturity of this level, to be quite honest with you. But I also look at my staff and, you know, if I have some staff guys that are pretty hot and, and intense, like I was, you know, I don't know if that's the right card that I should play, you know, because I think if you have a bunch of coaches that are just yeller screamer dudes, I don't know if that's, you know, right either, you know, so there's balance. So when I think, so I just want to know that when I, get you know intense and, and I lose and I lose it they know something something's wrong you know what I mean at this point where I think before I think I was always yelling and screaming I was just saying well let's just coach hall so, <laughs> I, so I think that's probably something I've, I've changed a little bit and you know just just I mean I, I represent everybody you know in this program and in this community so there's a lot more focus on that at this level you know I want there to be great credibility with our program within the athletic department I want our athletic department to be respected by the, the the campus community and the community at large. So I feel a sense of responsibility to do a lot more of those things, you know, um, especially at this level, because we don't have people that are out there branding the program. Right. So so I get more involved in social media with, you know, with what I can do to to showcase and, and, and pretty much brag about our players, really. So but there's other people doing that as well. OK, yeah, that's great. Um, what about kind of things that you look for in the recruiting process. This is a question that I've asked quite a few coaches on the podcast. Right. Um, so beyond football talent, like things that you're looking for in a recruit, something that might stand out if there's players with similar talent and you're, whatever you're doing, creating a recruiting mm -hmm. board, trying to make a decision on who you want to offer, put or give a Jersey and a position on your roster. What are the kind of non- football specific sure. character qualities that you look for in a new recruit? Well, for me, and, and it's, and it's, and it's tough at this level because we don't have the resources to go out there and to really investigate the recruit and develop the relationship with the recruit that, that, you know, at the, at the higher college levels, you know, they're, they're making contact with players once a week, you know, so we develop relationships, you know, over the phone, texting, some social media exchanges and things like that. So you get to, you get to develop a relationship with players. I think that's, that's key. And so um, I think the, the biggest thing for me, you know, is um, academically, I think it's important. It's not a, it's not a deal breaker. Well, first thing, you got to be good enough academically to get into school, right? If you're strong enough academically, you're going to get some extra scholarship money to come to school here, which helps the retention rate a lot when you can take a small scholarship, which we have at the small college level and package it with a little bit of academic money, it's going to go a longer way. And so, so, so that, and the, and the, and the strong academics to me show, you know, there, there is, you know, um, 
some integrity there. There's somebody who cares about academics. There's a work ethic there um, mm. that you could say that if they're doing well in school, they understand, you know, that that they are, they're committed to working hard to getting something, you know, that that takes a lot of work. Um, and mm. so I think those are those are keys that I look for. Other than that, you know, you you try to find guys that you know are going to help your team. You know, you ask questions. Um, you know, are the, uh, what do they do outside of, what are the other things they do? Yes, they play other sports, but outside of athletics, what do they do? Are they involved in any kind of social programs? Are they doing anything else? You know, cause you want to have a very diverse group in, in your locker room. And I, when I say diverse, yes, I want diverse in terms of, you know, racial diversity, but you want diverse backgrounds. I think the greatest gift is to learn, you know, for you, the kid from, from Ashland, Oregon, to learn about, you know, what it's like to come from, you know, from Oakland, California. And for that guy from Oakland, California to learn from some kid that's from central Idaho, you know, that, that grew up mm. on a farm, you know, I think getting all these melting pots of players from different, you know, socioeconomic and, and different communities together and to really have a common bond, I think is the coolest thing ever in, in team sports. And so mm. we were pretty hard in trying to, you know, break down a lot of those barriers and diversity is, is a very, is a very well used word, as you know, right now, mm. but Diversity is great, but diversity without alignment, really, you know, you're not going to go anywhere. And when you look at, you know, the world we live in right now, where there's, you know, where there's a lot of diversity out there, okay, and we're not aligned. There's, there's people going all over the place. And so until mm. we can get better alignment, we're never going to go to and achieve a common goal. So mm. sports, sports is the place, the, the greatest place to be able to use diversity and all the gifts of diversity. If you can get everybody aligned in the same path, then teams can go and, and win championships. And then when you can win those meaningful games really, I think, you know, increase those, those relationships, you know, a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite memories or aspects of college basketball was every year you show up in the locker room and you've got players from different geographies, socioeconomic backgrounds, races, experiences, and it's just over time, when you go through that kind of struggle together and you're all sacrificing towards the same goal and that alignment that you call it, you know, it doesn't take long for all of a sudden you're just, you know, 15 guys in a locker room who are all the sure. same in, in some way. Um, and you know, so, Greg, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Greg, Greg Lawrence, um, one of the best high school coaches in the state of Oregon, he's now retired. Um, he was the head coach at, at Sherwood High School. And mm. you know, darn well that we had our, we had our games with Sherwood over the years in the playoffs. And yeah. typically they kept going and, and we, we were, we were done for the most part, but you know, it was, it was kind of ironic because I had coached against coach Lawrence. And then again, his son, I think we played, um, we played at Autzen stadium. We played, um, I think it would have been Sashi Penn sophomore Mason Montgomery senior year. Mm. And um, so as I got the job at, at SOU, so Keegan Lawrence, who was, phenomenal high school player came to SOU and was doing a great job here at SOU as well. I got to coach Keegan his, his senior year. And then I got to be really close to his dad. And when it was all said and done, when Keegan graduated, you know, he said, you know, coaches, there's nothing like, you know, I mean, Keegan's had a great career. He's been a Gatorade player of the year in the state of Oregon. He's had, he won a national championship as a freshman at SOU. He, he started for four years. Um, but, you know, the thing that really I'm, I'm proud of most is the relationships he had with, with men of color that he never would have gotten had he stayed at Sherwood or stayed up in the area where he grew up. And I think mm. that to, to me that that meant so much to me um, because again, this is part of the, kind of the hidden curriculum of being in, in college is, is just going out there and just finding out all these new things that you're not going to, you can't take a class for these things, you know? Yeah. So right. I thought, I thought that was the coolest thing. Especially over zoom from a uh, distance during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this wasn't on the outline, but I want to take the opportunity to ask you. So maybe you have some advice you've been through so many different levels as a coach and you were a player yourself. Um, let's say a player, asked you the player leaving high school, what kind of things should I be prioritizing during the recruiting process? And let's say they're not, you know, going to Duke basketball or Alabama football. They're kind of mm -hmm. bubble, bubble player, you know, me and Nick level, like good player looking for a college fit, sure. but you know, not a high major D one, what kind of things should that player be prioritizing in the recruiting process? Well, I think the first thing that they need to have a, a really good perspective of really what they can do, you know, and, and what people are looking for. And I, you know, it's sadly, you know, I think the, the whole, the, the initial metric that, you know, colleges are looking at for most people is what is the, 
what is the, the profile for that particular position that you're looking for? You know what I mean? Is there a, a height, weight, um, some kind of a skill set that somebody needs to have to be able to play at the very highest level? You know, so understanding what your what your possible limitations are is one thing. But within those limitations, you know, have some idea of, you know, some schools that are going to be reaches, you know, mm. within that within that realm. And then, you know, and then, you know, kind of have, you know, in, uh, the schools that, you know, maybe these are settling schools and might have to go down to a junior college for some people. And then these are schools that, you know, kind of might be the reality of things. I think having an idea of just so you're not just throwing, you know, letters and emails to coaches all over the world, right? Have an idea of that plan and that strategy with that, I think is very important. Um, I think, you know, I mean, I tell you, Billy, I get, I get hundreds of emails every day. <laughs> you know, from prospective mm. students. And, and, and sadly, I, I can't reply to all of them, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's impossible. I mean, I've got probably 75 hits on Twitter today about people that want me to, you know, look at their film or whatever. I mean, mm. I mean, I'm talking about all over the country and this is Southern mm. Oregon university, you know? <laughs> and, and so um, it's, it's, it's pretty daunting, you know, to really do that. I would say as you try to narrow your focus on being recruited is anytime you can get in front of people personally and see them, um, especially if they've invited you, you know, take advantage of that. There's nothing mm. like making a good impression face to face. And mm. you know, it's frustrating for us, you know, as we offer kids official visits and ask them to come and visit us. But, you know, something comes up, they can't make it. You know, uh, my sister's got a birthday party this week and, you know, I really can't make it. Well, I have only have three weekends to give you a visit. Right. And, mm. and, if you, and if you're not coming this weekend, because you have a nothing against your sister, but you know, <laughs> if, you, if you, if you can't make this work, then I don't know, you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. how much do you love the game? And, and again, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough topic, you know, trying to prioritize, you know, what you need to do. But I think any, anything, anytime you can get in front of coaches, there's, there's tons of combines in football. Now there's tons of opportunities out there. Um, know who's going to be there uh, and go out there and just, and have fun and just, and just show what you can do. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're going to find you if you have the right, the right skill set, you know? Um, and I think, and if you feel like you're not getting the recognition, then you got to just keep, keep banging on doors and, and finding out, you know, Hey, what can I do to come to your, so if, you know, I, I get guys that want to say, Hey coach, I didn't get recruited, but can I try out in the wintertime? for you? Can I come and join your weight training class or your weight training, you know, for the team? And, you know, can I make the team once I'm here? So sure. I've let some guys come in just this week, you know, just to, Hey, go through weight training with us until March. If you show you can be here on time every day, work hard. We don't have to restart and stop drills because of your, you know, you, then we'll give you a chance to come play in the spring. And if you can pass that, then we'll let you come back in the fall. So there's, if some guys persistent enough, they, they can find their way on a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team. Mm, nice. football because there's 115 guys there's there's not it might be tougher in basketball there's not as many guys but there's 115 lockers i gotta i gotta <laughs> yeah we actually had an interesting the probably pretty rare success story of a kid who was doing really well in um intramural and he tried out and made the team and he wasn't you know the but he was good in practice and stuff it was amazing that he had the you know in the armac he could have come and he right. apparently was a good high school player but he just watched the games and he was like, he was working out. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how often that happens, probably less so in basketball, but sure. it was a good story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a quick question. This just came to my mind. Did you happen to watch the chiefs bills game? I did. What do you think of the 13 seconds when there was 13 seconds left and the chiefs yeah. had the ball? Yeah. Do you, I'm curious if you have any opinions on, because I don't know enough about football. I heard Tony Romo talking about that. He was criticizing their, they were four man rush and they were playing this soft, like prevent defense. Do you have any thoughts on what went down there and how they got into field goal range? You know, football is such a game of situation that, I mean, that situation has been practiced time and time again. So, hmm. I mean, it's not like, Oh, we got 13, you know, what do we do? You know what I mean? I, I mean that those things are scripted. Um, everybody's got the last three plays of a game. Everybody's got the last three defensive calls of a game, you know? So, I mean, was it a, was it a good call? Probably not, you know, because, you know, you don't know what formation the team's going to be on. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's Tony Romo and all these guys on TV can are great second guessers, you know, after the fact. Um, yeah. 
you know, a guy like Mahomes is pretty special where he can just see the field and see where there's going to be a glaring weakness, you know, based on the pre-alignment and wow. anticipate. And so I would say, you know, I think Buffalo was protecting the edges a little bit, if you will, you know, um, from what I saw, uh, you know, so I, 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 can't, I can't be critical of, of, of any particular team in that situation because I really believe that they are out there just, you know, drawn up in the dirt. Th- those situations sure, are scripted sure. and they, they know what they're going to get into, you know, back in August when they go to camp, to be honest with you. Mm, okay. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Some great games though this weekend. My gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got one more question for you, coach. Um, What kinds of things other than, you know, completing with your degree and having a good football experience, I'm curious what kinds of things you hope your players take with them when they leave the program and what kinds of things they learn through competitive sports? Uh, One word. I mean, I got lots of words, but my first word is relationships. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, I, 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 Billy, I've learned that probably more, in my later years than I did in my, in my younger years, in my younger years, you know, I was all about, you know, coaching all conference players and coaching guys to give them a chance to play in the NFL. And, you know, those, those were those pats on the backs, you know, were, were very selfish. And so to me, to be able to have the relationships with players, player to player probably makes means a lot to me, but player to coach and coach to coach, you know, we're, we're all a big family. And, and we talk about family all the time. I'm sure your team does as well. You know, um, one of the acronyms that coach Howard left us, left us was, you know, the acronym for family is forget about me. I love you. And mm-hmm. that's in the locker room. And it's a, it's a pretty cool one. I've never heard that. And, and I've always used the, the term family and, and we always have breaks with family, but it really is. It's a four or five year commitment at the college level. But I mean, you hope to get 40 to 50 years of relationships out of it. You know, because of the of the of the of the common bond that you have, you know, the sacrifices that you all made and these these great experiences. So really, that's what I would want them to have. And I I say that in the very first meeting of the year. And it's, and it's really mm-hmm. about that. So um, other than that, you know, it's it, then then again, you know, from you personally, you know, how well did, were you able to push your personal limits as far as they can go, you know, as an athlete physically, you know, how well, how tough are you when things, you know, build up, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, um, uh, you know, all those types of things. So again, where are our limits and how far can we go and, you know, how can we adapt to change and Lord knows how COVID has really made us all learn how to adapt and, and try to, you know, deal with these things better. So, I mean, it's a blessing in a way. I mean, I think that these are just skills that we're going to need for the, for the future, because, you know, I don't know if this stuff's going to get much easier. So, um, you know, there's, there's perseverance and there's just the, the whole, you know, teamwork stuff. I think those are all the, the typical answers, but it, it all goes back to relationships, you know, and, and I feel like the, I am the, I am the catalyst that needs to, to value that and to facilitate that within our program. Okay, I'm going to tack on one question and sneak it in. Do you yes. do, how do you think about keeping alumni engaged? Is that part of your goal with relationships? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I am one. I mean, I, I'm, mm-hmm. what better, what better gift do I, can I have than to be the coach of my, of my, of my school, of the college I graduated from, mm-hmm. you know, to be the coach in the community that I've lived in, what, 20 of the last 25 years now, right? Mm-hmm. And so I am so blessed to be able to have that. And so, you know, so the alumni are, are some of my teammates, you know, mm. and alumni now are some of my players I've coached. So I'm mm. developing, you know, I have this unique connection with, you know, alumni who I played with, alumni that I have recently coached. I have, a, there's alumni that I've coached their parents, <laughs> you know, and, and there's alumni, especially in this community that I've coached their kids or I taught their kids that or I coached their kids at Ashton High School that went to school mm. here, you know, or played here. So those things are all pretty cool. So I try to connect, you know, about four to five times a year. I send out a quarterly letter, you know, from me. I got a database with over 400 names of alumni in our database. And I, you know, just try to keep them informed and just, you know, keep them connected. And hopefully they come to games. And when we have a golf tournament or we have a, a big fundraiser, which we do later this year, you know, I'll be able to reach out and people will, will, will support us. Nice. Well, that's, that's a great place to end. Coach, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been great to connect with you through this. And I know all, you know, listeners probably don't know, but we live across the street. So right. whenever, I, whenever I come home, I, I usually see you in the driveway and get to catch yeah. up. So yeah, thank you for all you did for me and my friends and everything when we were going through Ashton High School. And it's been great to see you have so much success at SOU. And yeah, thanks for doing the show.
Well, thank you, Billy. Congratulations on your book and just, you know, been enjoyed following your, you know, your career and just, you know, doing these things and talking to these people has just been, um, it's been awesome to follow. So again, good luck with you and um, we'll see you down the road. Sounds good. Thanks coach. Take care. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Just a reminder that my new book is available. The book is called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And the book is the perfect resource for a struggling athlete, an athlete who's lost their confidence or is no longer enjoying the sport they play, or for any athlete who wants to make the most of their athletic experience while also setting themselves up for a good life after sports. And I think the book will be of interest to coaches and parents and fans as well. So you can find a link to the book in the show notes to this episode, or you can visit billyhansen.net forward slash book to pick up a copy. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you here for the next episode. sauce.